Welcome to A Teaspoon of Healing, where we explore the pathways to wellness and vibrant living. Listen to personal stories of healing and interviews with experts. It's time to open a doorway to healing in your life through positive changes. Here is your host, Dawn Damari. Hi, I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to another episode of A Teaspoon of Healing. Well, today's topic is optimizing your digestion using enzymes and other ways you can optimize your digestion. And we're also going to be talking about bodybuilding for those of you who are new to that and want some tips. My guest is Wade Lightheart, champion bodybuilder and the co-owner of a company called BioOptimizers, which makes supplements. We're going to discuss Wade's background, some tips for new bodybuilders, and he will share his story of healing and also how he optimized his digestion and how you can do that too. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein. And before we get into our interview, let's hear from one of our sponsors, Goth Tours. Hi, this is Goff, owner of Goff Tours, specializing in stand-up paddleboarding or surfing lessons. I even do snorkeling. You can reach me here. Orange County has what you're looking for. You can contact me via email at gofftours at gmail.com or mobile number is 949-338-5937, gofftours.com. I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to A Teaspoon of Healing. Well, today my guest is Wade Lightheart. He's a champion bodybuilder, nutritionist, best-selling author, and the owner of a company called Bio Optimizers, which is a supplement company that deals with digestion. And today we're going to talk about digestion, which is really awesome. For those of you who don't know, I also work with that. So it's going to be so great to talk to someone who realizes the importance of digestion. And we'll talk about bodybuilding and health and fitness and your story. So hi, Wade, and welcome. Great to be here, Don. So you are originally from Canada and you're now living in Santa Monica. Yeah, we're working on the visa process now. So uh, nice. hopefully it all works out and I can stay here training at Gold's Gym. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. So you are a champion bodybuilder. And when did you get into bodybuilding? Well, I'll take it back to when I was 15 years old, three unique things kind of happened to me simultaneously. One, my parents moved to a very rural place in New Brunswick, which is the province that's right next to Maine. So if anybody's been to Maine, you've pretty much been to New Brunswick. It's the same kind of very rural, a lot of woods, cold in the winter. And so they moved to this very rural place. It was five miles to my nearest neighbor. Literally the power lines and telephone poles ended at my driveway. And at the same time, my sister, my older sister of four years, was diagnosed with cancer, like simultaneously. And I watched her go through the medical model for four years before she died at a tragic young age at 22. And then also at the same time when this happened, I was 15, 14, 15 years old. She handed me a bodybuilding magazine with Troy Zuclato 
who had just won Mr. California and two very attractive women on the cover and, and, you know, being 15 and out of my mind with testosterone, nothing to do in this rural area. I was like, oh man, I better get some of these muscles or something, you know? (laughs) And I uh, set about it, built a gym in my barn, my garage, and uh, started lifting weights and reading Arnold Schwarzenegger stories and doing all the magazines and went on to study exercise physiology later on and then ended up in a career in health and fitness. And, and those impacts, I didn't realize the impact of that for maybe 10 years about, you know, just my sister's early mortality and how I realized that health is not a guarantee and life's not a guarantee. In fact, death is a certainty. So it really shaped my life in ways that, you know, set me in a certain trajectory. Wait, now... Do you have any tips for people who are just starting out with weight training or bodybuilding? You could pretty much yeah, start get a coach. Scratch. Oh, get a coach. Okay. Yeah, get a coach. I mean, it took me 10 years to go get a real coach. And I probably made more progress in the first year of the coaching relationship I had than I did in the 10 prior to. Not that I didn't make progress, but I probably would have got there three or four times faster had I had professional coaching from the start. And I think for people starting out, it's just listening to the person, you know, the fittest person in your gym or the biggest person in your gym or the person that you, the prettiest person in the gym is not necessarily answers because sometimes they might be genetically gifted or have different perspectives and they don't necessarily know how to address your unique individual needs. So a really good coach knows how to cultivate not just the physicality of it, but the psychology of it. Like most people don't realize they're getting, they're not getting into the gym to get in shape. They're getting into the gym to get the payoff of what they think getting in shape is going to give them. And that's a very big distinction that unless you've coached a lot of people, which I have, I don't think people really understand the nuances of what that means. Okay. So what would be the difference for people who don't know? Yeah. Well, for example, I think everybody carries a certain amount of insecurity about maybe are they good enough, especially in today's social media world, you know, are they good enough? Do they measure up physicality? Are they smart enough? Are they wealthy enough? Are they popular enough? Are they funny? You know, all these different things, whatever the filters are. And when people are attracted to, let's say, to get in shape, right? Most people are like, I got to get in shape or I've got to lose weight or I got an event I'm showing up to. I don't like the pictures I saw from my last wedding. And I need to get, you know, I need to do something about it. Well, if you actually break down, what is it that the person's looking for? And and essentially it's to be loved and accepted. And they feel that being fit is going to help them be more loved and accepted. Now, there are cases that people might come in because of a health issue, right? They've damaged their body and the doctor says they have to lose this or whatever. But again, they're looking for a payoff. And I always tell my clients back in the day, I said like, hey, look, getting you in shape, that's not an issue. Figuring out why that you think getting in shape is going to, you know, deal with that little demon in your head, that's the real goal. Right. That's the real goal. Right. Yeah. So I think that a great coach can address both of those issues. Because most people will try to go too hard, too fast, or they'll pick a routine or a program that's not really suitable for where they might be. Or they had a high level of fitness maybe at an early age in life and, you know, life got in the way and now they're coming back. But in their mind, they're still that, you know, 18-year-old or that 22-year-old or whatever. And, you know, time has taken its toll and they don't realize how much it is until they go in there and they need to scale up properly. Not that they can't achieve a great level of fitness or health, but <laughs> they need to scale up there in, in a way that's reasonable and manageable and makes the journey enjoyable, not some sort of, you know, boot camp torture zone or, you know, the, <laughs> you're not worthy if you're not starving and 
aching every single day. Right. Now, you have been involved in a few competitions, and what were the competitions called? Well, I was, uh, I won, uh, you know, everything from local shows. I think I won 13 titles, five different nice. weight classes, everything through the provincial and Western Canadians and national championships and competed at the Mr. Universe and the world championships and stuff. Yeah, it was a long uh, journey of about 20 years. So it was a lot of fun and I was able to translate it into helping other people, which is my big passion in life. Now, after one of your competitions, your body broke down and... That must have been really devastating. Do you mind sharing that story with our listeners and your journey back to health? Yeah, happy to do so. In 2003, I went on a series of contests. Uh, so I went to the, the Western Canadians, the national championships. And because I won both of those, I was then qualified to go to the Mr. Universe contest, which was my 15-year-old dream. And, you know, I went to the contest and it was a fantastic experience. And you know, to be with the world's best in your chosen field. And, you know, the pictures all look awesome and everything. But I had really pushed my body beyond its, maybe its genetic or natural capacities in pursuit of this idea of physical perfection. And I literally gained 42 pounds of fat and water in the 11 weeks after Oh wow! the contest. Yeah. So I always say I went from Mr. Universe to Mr. Marshmallow. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Fine, <laughs> right. but that's normal. And, that's, you know. Yeah. And so this was, you know, keep in mind, it was 16 years to get to this point. It's 16 years of Spartan discipline, physicality, right. training. I had coaching. I had a, like, I had everything. I'm supposedly doing everything right to the T for, you know, the last decade even. And to have that was psychologically effective because it was like, well, there's something I don't know here. You know, you'd think the person really knows it all. And the reality was I had made the classic air that I think everybody does in today's culture. And that is making the mistake of equating fitness as healthy. Okay. And I'm going to expand on this a little bit as we go to the right. next topic, because I think it's really important. So we look at pictures of actors or fitness and celebrities or sports athletes mm -hmm. and who exude a high level of fitness and maybe look good, right? They've got right. you know lean bodies and they're physically beautiful or is they're super strong or whatever it happens to be the definition of. And we automatically assume, oh, wow, that's healthy. No, I would say that's fit. They may right. be healthy. They might not be healthy. And in fact, in today's world, I find that a lot of people in certainly the high performance level are to push the limits to be something new and something extreme or whatever. They actually sacrifice their health in order to look cosmetically appealing. Okay. And so I call that cosmetic fitness. So the reality okay. was, although I was very fit, I was really into cosmetic fitness. It was all about how a person looked. And I'm not here to diss that. To me, it was a form of art. It was like I'm sculpting right, right. a physique and see what I can make out of it. Like that's how I approached it and enjoyed it. But I didn't know that internally I was making some mistakes that had tragic consequences. And fortunately, I found a medical doctor by the name of Dr. Michael O'Brien, who uh, had overcome cirrhosis of the liver and overcome, you know, stage four colon cancer and recovered. And he was a, you know, senior citizen, super vibrant guy. I was like, this guy was one of the most healthiest guys I've ever seen in my life. And he was, you know, in his seventies or whatever. I was like, dude, what, <laughs> what wow. are you doing? I want right. to be like you. Mm -hmm. And I said, here's what happened to me. And he goes, well, wait, I'll never forget this. He said to me, wait, you've learned how to build the body from the outside in, but not from the inside out. 
And it just really resonated with me. And I said, okay, what do I need to do? And he put me on a regimen of reconditioning my digestive system using enzymes and probiotics and, you know, green foods and raw food diets and all this, Mm -hmm. you know, radical kind of ideas that I had never done before. And I did it. And within six months, I had regained my health and my physical condition. So I didn't just look good. I actually felt good, which was not the case just, you know, six months before where I looked good and felt terrible. And so that was a big uh aha. And then over the next four years, I started cultivating and coaching people through that process. And my business partner and I, we we helped about 15,000 people through our online business. And then ultimately that evolved into a company that solves digestive issues because I had all of a sudden all these people from all these walks of life coming to me. And I realized they had the same problem I did. And that was they were not assimilating the food that they were Mm -hmm. eating, regardless of the diet they were choosing. Different diets work for different people. And I think a lot of it has to do with their digestive capacity, where it's compromised and where it's not compromised would make them drawn towards some diets and not others. And, and so I started helping people on that and, you know, and it evolved into a company. So I started with a toaster and ended up with a rocket ship. Nice. <laughs> yeah. You are a nutritionist as well. Yes. And so and you definitely obviously believe that food is medicine and because it healed you. And yeah. So, and your company, the company Bio Optimizers, you're the owner as well? Correct. Yeah. Myself and uh, Matt Gallant, we were both personal trainers in the East Coast and then on the West Coast in Vancouver together. And funny enough, they competed and had a lot of success. He said, hey, you know, you're pretty unusual. You're like a vegetarian bodybuilder. Like there's none of those and had a lot of success. Maybe we could make a book about it and sell it online. I'm like, really? You're, you're making money online? He's like, yeah. I didn't believe him. Mm-hmm. But I said, hey, I'll write the book if it helps people. Cool. And uh <laughs> You know, we've, we've been in business ever since. And what was that book called? <laughs> that book was a bodybuilding book called uh, Freaky Big Naturally, if you want to believe it. And it was just oh, about nice. teaching young men how to avoid the pitfalls of the bodybuilding industry. Right. That they get caught up in, you know, the drugs and all that sort of stuff. And to choose a different pathway that incorporated some of the inner game ideologies that I had learned and was partial to through meditation and the use of enzymes and, you know, mind machines and psychological programming for yourself Mm -hmm. for excellence and all that sort of stuff. And so we incorporated that into a book and it it took off. And then, uh, you know, we eventually morphed into a digestive health company for the reasons I said before. Digestion is so important to our health and our well-being. And like you were mentioning, even if you're eating the diet that's ideal for you, eat great diet, but if you're not digesting your food properly, you're not absorbing the nutrients properly either. So what are one or two things that people can do to optimize their digestion? Well, I think step one, some of this is going to sound redundant and boring, but I think one of the best things that people can do is to actually get out a journal and write down what they eat and how they feel. Right. I'm talking, put the times down, what you eat, what you felt like before. Were you starving? Were you hungry? And then what did you feel maybe afterwards? Did you feel tired? Did you feel bloated? Did you have a crash in the afternoon? And go through that for maybe a week or two weeks. Right there, you're going to get a clear indication what foods are working for you and what are not. Most people don't take the time. They'll say, oh yeah, I kind of eat healthy. And um, they don't actually take the time to observe or they're not paying attention to what happens when they eat. I think that's the first step because all of a sudden you get Mm -hmm. real world insight outside of any external authority, right? Like about what's going on in your own body. It's like a journal. And that's the first step. Not exactly a food journal, but more of a how you feel after you eat. 
Yeah, and before right. and after, you know, are, are you tired? Are you sleeping? Did you sleep too much? Did you wake up? Energy, just this little bit of biofeedback to tune into yourself and start paying attention. Right. That, that can be extraordinarily transformative in itself. Yes, definitely. Especially when you're just even being mindful of how you feel before and after you eat or how did exactly. you exactly just to even be paying attention anyway. So, and also what do you suggest next that people do? Well, number one is try to become an observer instead of the executioner for yourself. So I think a lot of people get tripped up with emotions about feeling guilty or getting off on some sort of satisfaction if they're on, you know, associated with a certain diet tribe. So mm -hmm. oh, yeah. watching those hooks Right. The hooks that I'm part of a tribe and become inflexible and right. being observable about what my body requires. And I'm speaking as if I'm the person reflecting. And then just not getting, you know, not beating oneself up because you went out and had a few beers with your friends or right. a cake or something. You know, right. it's like, so there's so much emotionality and guilt tied up. I know it's really deep for a lot of women. Yeah. And I see it also emerge in a lot of kind of businessmen mm -hmm. who work really hard and then they kick off after work and then they eat too much with, you know, stress-related eating and right. then they feel bad about themselves and they create these cycles. And I think women, my experience with coaching a lot of women is the same type of things. It's so that all of a sudden you're actually eating to create the negative feelings of emotion. You're not eating to sustain oneself and you've got to yes. really address those if you're going to have health in the long term. Absolutely. And what, what's another thing that you would suggest? I would suggest getting their digestive systems optimized. And what I have experienced is that almost everybody, especially if by the time you're 40, if you hit 40, mm -hmm. forget it. Like pretty much everybody's got some form of digestive yeah. complications and they vary in degrees and left unchecked. I read something recently at the Surgeon General, I believe it was suggested that digestive related illnesses are now the fifth leading cause of death. Wow. And where that's tying in is if you look at the big three, you know, cancer, heart disease mm -hmm. and diabetes. Well, actually, all of those issues can be traced to your ability to assimilate and use the food that you're eating or yes. pathogens from your food that you're not able to metabolize and use in your dietary process. So the question comes is how do I address that beforehand before I get you know, diabetes, before I get cancer, before I get heart disease. And that comes down to making sure that your digestive system works correctly. And the reality is we live in a world today where, you know, the food that we eat is significantly different from the food we were eating as a hundred years ago. I don't care yes. if you're eating biodynamic organics. I was just in India recently and oh, talking nice. to a farmer and he was saying he does holistic ethical botana or ethical farming. I said, what does that mean? He goes, well, I'm a farmer. And he goes, and a lot of the organics that people are using today, they'll have a, a root that goes down three to six feet. And mm -hmm. I know that on the whole Ayurvedic philosophy, that root needed to be six to nine feet. And without the deep roots, you don't have the same quality of foods and vegetables. And I think in today's monoculture driven world, that is the truth. Mm -hmm. So we're not getting anywhere near to the food. And I had the good fortune of eating like, um, you know, organic food at a young age where we get seeds from a Mennonite farm that had been recycled for, you know, 300 years or something like that. Now you would eat one tomato, for example, and you're full. You can't eat anything else. It's that nutrient dense. Wow. So I think the whole emergence of superfoods was not really superfoods. I think all foods were superfoods at one mm -hmm. point in time, I think. But now it's, if you look at superfoods, for the most part, it's foods that haven't been affected by monoculturing farming by humans. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
you know, if they grow somewhere in the woods where you haven't been for a while, it's probably pretty good for you. Definitely. Now, our culture encourages us to gulp down our food, gulp down your food, and then move on to something, quote unquote, more important, rather than sitting Mm -hmm. down and savoring our food like they do in some other cultures and, you know, the ritual of eating Mm -hmm. and I know that that affects digestion. I've changed my habits a lot, as much as I can. Sometimes, you know, you don't have a lot of time, but to be more mindful while you're eating, is there a way to get people to realize that, especially in American culture? I'm not sure how it is in Canada. Well, you know, I think it's part of this, the changing of the species. I mean, I was watching an interview with Elon Musk, and he was Mm -hmm. arguing that humans have become cyborgs. Yes, I think I saw this as well. Yes. And I think it's a very interesting perspective yep. when you think of how many people they're checking their phone, what, 80 to 100 mm-hmm. times a day. I know, I'm guilty of it. We're staring in front of screens all the time. we got the blue light kind of streaming into our brains all the time. If you go to Dr. Cruz's stuff on mitochondria function and blue light and all that stuff, it's really interesting. And so what's happened is we've kind of fused our consciousness with the machines and the consciousness of a machine is if you want to call it that it runs on electricity and and we run on a form of electricity but the electricity that the machine needs is very clear and the electricity that a human needs is not so clear and it's much more varied and i think what's happened is we've become more identified with our digital reality then maybe not more, but certainly it's, you know, that fusion of the singularity is starting to happen and people aren't separating who they are as a person from who they are in this kind of artificially digitally created world. And so I believe that taking time to sit down and enjoy your food and to taste your food. If you look at the Indian cultures, you have the five electrical energies in food with the taste and the senses mm-hmm. and to really embrace it. I'll give you an example. If you look at the most popular foods in America today, what are they? They're foods that you hold with your hands. Yes. Pizza, hamburgers, fries, hot dogs, you know, all the, mm-hmm. it's chips. Tacos. I love all that stuff. And I do believe yes. that there is kinetic or kinesthetic feel. You feel the food. You're tasting the food with your fingers. You're smelling the food with your senses. You're tasting it as it comes in your mouth. And so if you look at people who have a glass of wine, I oftentimes think that a lot of times when you're having a glass of wine, it's not the wine, it's the experience you create around the wine, which I've done the exact same thing with kombuchas, (laughs) you know, and it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, I create like a champagne experience with kombucha. To me, it's just fantastic, but it's about the setting. What is the setting? What is the occasion? Am I taking time? Am Am I being present with the people I'm sharing that meal with? Or am I, you know, texting on my phone in between? And if you are, I think it's time to pause because we do know that your nervous system is in a different state if you're on your phone than if you're just eating in presence. Yeah. So when you're eating in present, you're in the parasympathetic. So is it true? So when you're on your phone, is it more of the sympathetic nervous system kicking in? So that fight or flight? See, that's that's not good if we're doing that a lot during the day. Exactly. But especially when you're eating. Like I know if you're you're eating when you're driving, it's the same thing. Yeah, You don't want to do that. Eating while you're working. I know it's hard. But at least, you know, try to work on something that's not or just, I don't know, check an email, something that's not going to stress you out. So I didn't know the phones, too, or also activate that. There's a little experiment I would often have people do for kind of a fun thing is go to the movies. Okay. And get one of those big giant popcorns. Right. Now, don't go to the movie. Just go to the sidewalk, sit down and try and eat the whole bag of popcorn. (laughs) You probably can't. Probably can't. It's very difficult. You're like, this doesn't taste that good. You go to the theaters. Now, go to the same theater, sit there in the back, making a movie that you don't want to see or that you've already watched 
and watch the people in the theater. And you'll see as the stress comes up and then the tension releases, you'll see everybody dive for the popcorn, go for their drinks. And so that push-pull with the emotions are now being anchored and amplified. And this happens all the time on the internet. It happens on television. It happens when we're at the movies. It happens when we're in restaurants, you know, watching stuff on our phones and all that sort of stuff. So we're actually repatterning our psychological associations with food. That's amazing. That's a really good exercise. It's enlightening. Everybody that I've had do that goes, wow. wow. And that's all really nutrition is about, in my opinion. It's about mm -hmm. becoming aware of, you know, nourishing yourself, to use that term. Am I feeding myself or am I nourishing myself? And right. those are two very different things. Right. When you're working with clients, are they made aware of kind of what they're doing while they're eating? And have you had success with people maybe becoming more mindful about their food or how they're nourishing themselves? Yeah. I mean, any client that I ever coached, that was the first step. I wouldn't work with them. I would get them to write down a week of journals. And when I saw that journal, if they didn't get it right, I'd make them do another week before I'd even work mm -hmm. with them. Because it wasn't about me telling somebody what to do. Right, right. It was about that person becoming aware of the choices they were making both consciously and unconsciously and reconnecting right. with the emotional side of their experience of eating. Probiotics and enzymes, well, of course, that's what everybody's talking about. And they seem to work really well for some people. And some people seem like it either doesn't work or some people seem to get more digestive distress. Why is that? And are there certain ones that you recommend or maybe certain times to take them? Yeah. What I'm going to do real quickly, if it's okay with you, is I'm just going to sure. explain the process of digestion to your listeners. Absolutely. And that would be great. we can kind of look at the areas where people get compromised because it's going to sure. vary from person to person. Right. Of course. Thanks. So the first food there is the smelling it, the tasting it, the touching it. That's one part. So that's the kind of kinesthetic experience and the olfactory experience. And then the, the gustory experience is right off the bat. You're activating three nervous systems there, but it comes into your mouth you start chewing the food. So as you talked about earlier, gulping the food or mm. not, that that's a big thing. So chewing the food properly, and then it travels down the esophagus into what's called the upper cardiac portion of the stomach, the top part of the stomach. Now, what most people don't realize is that this is where the enzymes present in the food are going to break down the food. And enzymes are right. present in every single living organism. The difference between the living and the non-living is the presence of enzymes essentially. And so enzymes are these little catalysts that facilitate and speed up chemical reactions, period. Whether it's a chemical enzyme that right. people are using or an enzyme inside your body. And we have about 25,000 different enzymes. Now, every species on the planet, whether it's a whale, you know, killer whale eating seals, whether it's a tiger eating a zebra, whether it's a cow eating grass, eats its food in a live state in in that live state, the enzymes are present within that organism. And so if I'm a tiger, I go out and I kill the zebra. And what does it do? It goes for the entrails first where all the enzymes and probiotics are, and then it eats the rest of the carcass. Right. So they innately understand, they innately follow a sensory experience. And the, a herbivore, like a horse or whatever, there's even a little bit of blood on the grass or something like that, it won't eat that grass. Because it knows it's, that's not its food. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very, very distinct. So humans... In our innate wisdom, we figured out how to cook and preserve food. Now, that's a big advantage from the standpoint of it's allowed humans to proliferate the planet. I mean, not having enough food was the biggest issue in humanity for most of history. 
and it's still a big issue in a lot of places in the world. It's getting right. better. But so we had a whole life that was built on not enough food, not enough calories. And then we've come up with cooking and we come up with storage food and we come up with preservation methodologies. And now we are experiencing this whole thing of the side effects of all that. And number one is there's no enzymes in the food. Anything that's cooked over 114 degrees, there's no enzymes present. So there's nothing in the breakdown of the food. So what do we have to do? We have to manufacture enzymes in our own body that go to digestion. And if you look to Dr. Edward Howe, who's kind of like the godfather of enzymes, if you will, right. he wrote a book called Enzyme Nutrition and had another one called The Food Enzymes for Health and Longevity. And he demonstrated that they did all these experiments with species and species that were fed an enzyme deficient diet lived way less of a length of time than species who did have an enzyme rich diet period. And he said that the lifespan of an organism is inversely related to what he called its enzyme bank account. And so same as a person, if they were taking drugs, you see them, you know, like a hardcore drug addict, you see them, you know, devolve very, very quickly in the damage because they're doing so much damage to their system and it's enzymes that have to clear that out or an alcoholic or these type of things that come for various people who are suffering from all kinds of diseases of addiction are putting a lot of chemical agents or people who are exposed to harsh chemical environments or toxic environments. They don't live that long because their body is using their enzyme supply to rid the toxins from their body, but they're also using enzymes to break down the food. And of all the diets that you look at, and I've studied every different diet program I think there is out there. The one <laughs> thing that we can confirm with longevity is eating less. Yes. And what does that mean? Well, I'm putting less strain on my digestive system. Oh, okay. Well, what if I was able to boost my system with using exogenous or enzymes that were cultivated so I didn't have to put the stress on my system? Well, that's one of the reasons why I think the whole foundation of the raw food movement was enzyme-rich diets, but that's just not practical for most people. It's very right. difficult to follow that. It's socially challenging. I've done a raw food diet for two years as one of my experiments, mm -hmm. and I loved it. It felt great, but it's also yeah. challenging yeah. <laughs> yes. socially. You're the weirdest guy in every room. <laughs> 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 so no disrespect to all my friends in the raw food thing. And I, I love that program. And I think everybody would benefit from six months of doing a raw food diet. I think it's probably the best way to detox there is, mm -hmm. but it has its limitations as well, like every diet. So that's the first stage and the breaking down. So then after that first 30 to 60 minutes, what happens is the food goes into the lower part of the stomach and hydrochloric acid comes in, mm -hmm. often called HCL. Now, hydrochloric acid is involved in a couple of very key processes. Number one, it is the disinfectant of your body. So it kills parasites, viruses, bacteria, things that may be present on the food. And the thing is, by the time people are, you know, by 40, almost no one produces enough hydrochloric acid. Right. And what does that show up as? Acid reflux and heartburn. Mm -hmm. People go, really? Yeah, people think, why? Well, yeah, it's like all the acid blockers that they'll put you on instead. Yeah. So the ironic thing about the whole, this is what drives me crazy as I, you know, I'll see an advertisement for these, you know, proton pumps and these acid blockers and over the counter stuff. And it's like, wait a second, the reason why you're having heartburn, the reason why you're having the issues is because you're not producing enough hydrochloric acid. Now you're going to take right. a drug or a chemical to block that even further, which you're going to have a lot of issues and, and how that mechanism works for those who are listening. And if they want to check it, I'll give them links after I've got a whole interview with a naturopathic sure. physician explaining this, but there's a, what's called the esophageal sphincter at the top mm -hmm. of the stomach. And when the hydrochloric acid comes into a sufficient enough level that triggers the flap to close. If you don't produce enough, the flap stays open and some of that acid will spill up. Mm -hmm. 
And that's where you get the heartburn or the esophageal sore and that sort of stuff. So anyways, the hydrochloric acid comes in, it disinfects, it kills the bacteria, it kills the viruses, it kills the parasites. It, it's the front part of our immune system. And it also changes the pH levels of the food that you've ingested. And that will activate some enzymes and deactivate other enzymes at that point as the pH changes. So that's a very critical component that happens. So that digestion, the assimilation process happens in a very structured and sequential way, particularly around protein digestion and amino acids. After that, the chime, I guess it will, through peristaltic attraction now moves into the intestinal tract. And so your body releases what's called bicarbonate buffers, which is a fancy name for alkaline minerals. Those alkaline minerals take the acid, put it down to a more neutral level so that you do not burn holes in your intestinal tract. And if you don't have enough minerals or that's not working right, that's where people get ulcers and you know gastritis and all these inflammatory based bowel related illnesses. And so as it goes into the next stage of digestion, that's where your probiotics, the good bacteria are going to work on the food. Now in your body, the estimates are somewhere around 500 strains. That's going to vary person to person. Some people would only have 200, 250. Some people would have 500. They discovered Amazonian tribes people recently that had like 200 other bacteria levels or different types of bacteria that we don't have. Wow! So there's a lot of information that's going into this area right now. It's kind of like the golden age of probiotic yes. discovery. Right. Our purposes, I'll just say that 10% of these guys are good, 10% are bad, and 80% are opportunists. And based mm -hmm. on our diets, based on our emotionality, based on you know whether we're in sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system, whether we just had a stressful experience, you know, all of these things will contribute to which of these bacterias will be kind of proliferating at any given time. And so the idea is that you want to eat a diet that supports the good bacteria and doesn't support the bad bacteria. And anyone that's gone through dosages of antibiotics, the unfortunate part is, mm -hmm. is it just kind of wipe, it's kind of like strip bombing all of that. It kills the good, it kills the bad, it kills the ugly. And I'm not here to go off against antibiotics because they've saved millions of lives. Yeah, yeah, right. Sometimes you need them, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I, I had some people I knew in the health world that needed some antibiotics at a period of time, didn't take them, no, no, yeah. and died. You know, like yeah, it's like, no, no, they're there for a reason, yeah. Yeah, they're there, and they're to be used under the guidance of a physician for a short period of time, and as soon as you get yes. off them, then you want to repopulate what's called, and the fancy name for this is the microbiome. And these right. bacteria are so powerful. I mean, bacteria inside your body, there's about 10 times the amount of bacteria in your body as you have cells. They also hook directly into your nervous system. They help you make the polypeptide chains for your hormones in your brain. They create cravings inside your body. These things are intimately tied into our nervous system and can affect us. And I have seen so many people who suffered from depression, who suffered from, you know, all sorts of psychological and emotional conditions or instability or all these sort of stuff that as soon as we cleaned up their guts, all that stuff went away. And it's largely related to the bacteria. So yes, the psychology as well. Yeah, they take down... Yeah, it's tied to, yeah, so many things, so many things. Yeah, they kind of finish off breaking down the food from what the enzymes did and convert it and transport it across the intestinal tract and then off to your liver and the rest of your body and all that sort of thing. I always say that enzymes are cutting the grass and, you know, the probiotics are mulching the grass, if you will. Mm -hmm. That's a good analogy. Yeah, and then the final stage of the digestive process is peristaltic contraction continues and you eliminate everything that you don't need. And of course, constipation is probably one of the biggest issues. And it's a really huge issue, mm -hmm. particularly in the female community. Mm -hmm. A lot of times because 
I think as young women, they're very concerned about going to the bathroom and does it smell or yeah. do they have problems <laughs> and they tend to hold themselves longer. And so they, mm-hmm. they start to suspend their natural peristaltic contractions. And then later on, as they get compromised digestive systems, this becomes amplified in a lot of different ways. So I even would teach people how to do various breathing exercises that I learned in yoga to start reactivating the peristaltic contractions inside the body so that they could eliminate the waste properly. Okay, great. That's a part of it. You can use herbs and those can help start things. But I think ultimately you always want to use supplements in conjunction with your dietary program and a regimen that will enhance your digestion. And then, you know, it's kind of to kickstart everything and get it going and then use as a, just as something to make sure everything's working properly all the time. Thank you for that explanation and, you know, what enzymes do and probiotics and so how come for some people then the ones that they take don't work? Is it better to get them from food or is it just some people, is it just the brand maybe that they're taking or they're not taking at the right time? Yeah. So unfortunately we live in an age of what I call the me too world. <laughs> it's not like the, not the social media, but yeah, yeah. what I mean by that is tomorrow morning, If there is an article that is released in Time magazine saying that palm leaves, you know, help you live longer or make you lose weight, by the end of the week, there is going to be companies selling palm leaf extract. (laughs) You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And even if the palm trees, let's say that is true. I'm using a totally radical idea just to illustrate a point. Let's say that's totally true that those actually affect the chances of you getting an effective dose or whatever the essential components of that in that pill at that given time when it was churned out in a week is highly unlikely. It's somebody just capitalizing on a trend and taking advantage Mm -hmm. of somebody's emotion when they feel, hey, I'm not doing what I need to be doing and I need a little boost to help me and people make a purchase and they feel good about starting that program on Monday and they take their pills and they talk to their friends and, and that's how trends get started. And when it comes to companies in the supplements, I've been in the industry since the early 90s, first as a sponsored athlete, well, as a user and then as a sponsored athlete and eventually opened my own store and then got into distribution and manufacturing and then ultimately designing my own products. And so, you know, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of the industry, I've seen the best parts and the worst parts. And I think that about maybe 10% of the products on the market are of a high enough quality that they're going to be effective. And the rest of the people are just running on trends and margins. And so how do you find that out? How do you determine that? Yeah. How do you do that? First off, I think you definitely want to be around companies that have been around for a while because a lot of the fly-by-night companies, they open a company, start a trend, and then they're down in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Next thing you want to know the background and history, what's the focus of that particular company? Who's the founders? What were their interests? What are they founding? And then you want to look at the products and see, does it have the magnesium stearates in it? Does it have all the different, you know, unpronounceable ingredients? Mm-hmm. It's probably not that good. Yeah, you're right. When it comes to enzymes, you want to look at how many huts, which is a form of, say, proteolytic capacity, right? Does it have, or how many in probiotics, it would be how many billion or trillion or million cultures is actually in the product or whatever. And there's a lot of different things to look at. And so part of the education process that we do is to teach people exactly what I taught people when I was coaching them is like, how do you look at a label and know if it's good? How do you know if a company is reputable? And then also does the company back up their product? Will they give you a return? Will they refund it if it doesn't work for you? That sort of thing. And the reality is, is most people today shop on price. And I always say there's nothing more expensive than a product that doesn't work. doesn't matter if you spend two bucks for it. 
didn't work. So especially when it comes to your health too, you know, you're putting in your body. Exactly. So I've never lost out choosing what I call like the gold standard in whatever I was dealing with. And so I think you always want to follow companies and persons and choose your products on that gold standard because, you know, frankly, you deserve it. You know, bodies aren't like cars. You can't go get a new one. Yeah, absolutely true. Now, people you know, often complain about bloating, gas, indigestion. Also, when they are transitioning and they're eating, some people can't handle, you know, raw veggies. Mm-hmm. Some people like they are like, I'm going to eat healthier. So they're starting to eat more salads and then they find out that they have more bloating and gas and they're like, well, this can't be healthy. So what do you suggest? I mean, of course, there's always, you know, roasting vegetables, but, and I know there's a time that it takes some time to get used to. If you're putting more greens in your diet, it, you'll get used to it. But what do you suggest to those people? So they don't just abandon the salads and just go back to, you know, something unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. I've dealt that so many times. And, you know, you have to realize is that whatever age you are, you've gotten to your current dietary and health condition from what you've taught your body over the last, you know, whether it's 10 years or whether it's 80 years. And going back to the bacteria issue, when you start changing the food that you eat, your microbiome starts to change. And some of those bacteria are not going to be happy about that change, particularly if they're a bad mm-hmm. one and they're getting fed from a poor diet. Right. They're going to be upset and they're going to start creating all sorts of problems, producing indole, skate, all of And so there's a period of transition. And the key, and this is where coaching comes in really well, is that you have someone to help you manage that transition because it is a transition. It's going to take you a little bit while before those vegetables taste good. It's going to take a little while before some of those things are going to start to taste good. I can remember being on extended diets for a long period of time where, you know, a piece of shredded wheat tasted like the manna of the gods <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> because I had restricted my diet for so right, much right. that anything was like was, you know, sublime. And what's happened is in the world that we live in today, we have to realize is that we've kind of like overstimulated our nervous system with all these extra flavor agents. Yes. And what happens is the food that we eat, oftentimes we're not getting the same stimulation anymore. And so it takes a bit to refine and, and start to pick up those finer objects. And then those things that we love before are going to taste too sweet or too scary or too whatever. So when it comes to the digestive bloating and gassing, one of the reasons we created our digestive health line is because most people are coming to us during a, either a health challenge or they're making some dietary changes and they recognize that their digestive system isn't right. So the use of mm-hmm. enzymes and probiotics and hydrochloric acid and those things make that transition super easy and super fast. And that's why we do that. Okay. Excellent. Now you are a vegetarian and how long have you been a vegetarian? Yeah. So uh, I stopped eating flesh in 2001. One, I guess I read wow. a book called The Holy Science, mm-hmm. which was my spiritual teacher's autobiography, Yogi Yogananda, very popular yogi in the West. His teacher wrote a book called The Holy Science and kind of broke down this whole digestive system thing. And I read it and I said, oh, I'm going to try it. I was a carnivore at the time. And I'm not one of those vigilante vegans that goes off and, mm-hmm. you know, throws daggers at people as they're eating meat or something. Yeah. Like, I just never <laughs> understood that. Right. <laughs> like, who am I to tell anybody what to eat? Exactly. And the bottom line is, yeah, I made a shift for a couple of weeks and then I went a month and then I went two months and I said, oh, I guess I'm not going to eat anymore. So it was no big deal. It just kind of happened and never changed. And, you know, that's evolved in a lot of areas. And if that was to change in the future, I would do so. I just don't see any need right now. Nice. And so you're also a bodybuilder and a vegetarian. A lot of people when they're bodybuilders, they think, oh, I need so much protein, which of course you can get in a vegetarian diet. But I looked at your bio and apparently you don't need as much protein as you think when you're bodybuilding. 
Correct. And and the reason why that is, is, you know, there's an old adage in, I guess it was Eastern Europe that your body becomes its function. And I think that's so great. And the thing is, is when you start consuming a lot of protein, your body starts to require a lot of protein because you actually get more and more inefficient about breaking down the protein into amino acids, which is what you need. And I was literally way back in 07, I was a raw food, 05, 06, 07. I was a raw food vegetarian. I was only eating raw food. That was the experiment. And what I realized is that it was really hard to get enough protein to sustain what I would call world-class athletic endeavors. I mean, I was training at a very heavy and hard rate, which has different nutrient requirements than the average person. And so I was looking at ways of how I could improve that. And that's when I developed my first enzyme formulation, which was to convert proteins into amino acids. And uh, I made it for myself. <laughs> and all of a sudden other people wanted it. And I think we're on our third version of that now in 14 years. So product was called Masszymes and uh, it's enzymes for the masses. It's something because undigested protein is the biggest cause of disease and dysfunction in the mm-hmm. digestive body. And breaking down that protein into amino acids is something that everybody needs to do. And so I'm able to do that at a high level because I use proteolytic enzymes that we produce to convert that protein. So I'm getting virtually all of the amino acids out of everything I eat because of just an optimal digestive system. So yeah, I don't need it that much. Let's talk a little bit about your book. So you are a best-selling author and what are the books that you've written? I know you mentioned one earlier. Yeah, we did. Yeah, that was kind of the bodybuilding side. I don't think anybody wants that one. Uh, <laughs> Not true. <laughs> uh, we did the uh, Staying Alive in a Toxic World was one of the most popular ones written with Katrine Valinsky. So she's my ND. Okay. We discovered a lot. She had a great story, overcame the challenge at radioactive poisoning from Chernobyl. And she was a client of mine. And uh, yeah, in a totally different era, she was in finance. And we started working with her and she had all these challenges that I'd never dealt before. And we went into a lot of different areas together to discover things. And she found out she had an aptitude for it. And uh, I said to her one day, I said, you have a real aptitude of this. And she went on and became a naturopathic physician and really works with a lot of women who have hormonal issues, which is so common, especially women around after pregnancy or menopausal women or people who have followed every diet and are struggling. She really understands that process really well and helps, you know, people boot up their systems. She's really into genetics and epigenetics and choosing diets that are suitable for those areas and what you're trying to do and hormone regulation and stuff. And so we decided we'd write a book together eventually. And we did. And that was probably one of our most popular. So Staying Alive in a Toxic World, I think it's on Amazon or something, or you can go to katrinevalinsky.com and pick up a copy. That's probably our most popular one. And then of course, on our website at Bioptimizers, we have the Bioptimization Blueprint. And then we have what's called the Awesome Health Formula, which is a course. It's a 12-week course that people can take or they can do it faster. It's like literally 84 five to 15 minute videos about everything that I've learned from all these different people summarized in a sequential format, which I call the awesome format. It's an acronym so that people can start to assimilate a healthy lifestyle in a kind of a step-by-step plan. And so we do that. I'll give a link to your listeners so they can get a copy for free. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so what is the link for that for the free? It's a bioptimizers.com slash teaspoon. T-E-A-S-B-O-O-N. Yeah. Okay. And I'll put that also. So biooptimizers, O-P-T-I-M-I-C-E-R-S.com slash teaspoon. Yeah. So anybody that goes there, we'll give them 
It's about $6,000 worth of coaching. We normally sell for 300 bucks. You can have it. And just as my gift to your listeners, because there's so many different areas that people have questions about and they can go in and learn about probiotics. They can select what they want. They can learn about water technology. They can look about sunlight or saunas and all these kind of cool things that I like to do. And my friends like to play around with it. They don't have time to get all that. It's all one spot. They can go through it at their own pace. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. My pleasure. Now, you also have a podcast, which is awesome. So what is the name of your podcast? Yeah, it's the Awesome Health Podcast. And basically what we do is we kind of interview people who are expressing awesomeness on the physical plane, usually related to health. We just had Luke Story on there recently. Oh, nice. Yeah, great guy where he overcome all these different illnesses, like, you know, addiction and everything is really powerful for people who might be suffering that. We've had, you know, some world-class bodybuilding coaches. We have people on electroacuscopes. I just tone flare up. It's a pretty wide ranging topic of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like if you're into the lunatic fringe of the <laughs> of physicality, that's a podcast you might want to check out. Great. And that's on iTunes and Correct. Yeah, you can get on that or just go to their site and grab it. Now, if people want to learn more about you, you gave the company URL, again, biooptimizers.com. And if you also put slash teaspoon, you get a free gift. That's right. But is that also where they can find out info? And do you have social media as well? Yeah. So somebody handles all the social media for me. I just turn out stuff and I don't know where people put it. But if you go to bioptimizers.com slash teaspoon, you'll be in the universe and you can just kind of navigate around all that stuff. You click on those little icons and people take care of that. So that's great. You have a social media manager. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I have to. I I need a manager for everything, right? (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, thank you, Wade, for joining us on A Teaspoon of Healing. Is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners before we sign off? Well, first and foremost, I want to thank you for bringing me on here. And second thing is I want to reach out and say to them, if you're listening to this, your quest for better health or optimized health is a noble cause and that you should endeavor to take it. I would recommend that you get a coach, you get a therapist, a practitioner, someone to kind of be the voice of reason so that we can deal with those little those little voices in our head and that really can be helpful and that you get specific. There's a proliferation of information out there. But the reality is, is you're a very unique person at a unique time in your life. And you need someone that can help you navigate that so that your diet program, your nutrition program, your health program fits your lifestyle and what it is that you want to achieve. And that becomes a great way to clear up what I call the dance of delusion in the land of confusion, where we have all this information, but how do you put it together into something that's meaningful in your life? So I hope that you take that to heart as a little teaspoon of healing and run with it today. Great. Well, thank you so much, Wade, for joining us. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Don. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Teaspoon of Healing. If you have any questions for me or for Wade, visit my website, teaspoonofhealing.com. Click on contact and I'll get back to you. You can also reach me on Instagram at teaspoonofhealing or facebook.com slash teaspoonofhealing. Stay tuned. Next week, there's another episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave me a star rating on iTunes. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to A Teaspoon of Healing with Dawn Damari, your home for wellness and vibrant living. For more resources on wellness and vibrant living, visit us online at teaspoonofhealing.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein.
Hey there, this is Sean. And this is Frank Jag from Sensibly Cynical. And you can check us out on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher application. Or just be real, you can just Google our name, Sensibly Cynical. That too.